I wanted to start this podcast to share hunting stories of my experiences and what I've done over the years. There's so much more that is involved in hunting than just pulling the trigger and killing an animal. We want to be inspirational, educational, but we also want to have a good time and teach you how to have a good time as well. Last week, we had Jed Fetter from Keystone Pursuit Outdoors, and we were talking about trapping. And now we're going to come back and cover trap preparation, trap location, and trap sets. Look for those locations you can walk to. I'm looking for those locations where I can open the truck door and hit the animals with the truck door. If you can't hit them with the truck door, you're going too far. Really, most of the work at trapping is done in the fur shed. 10 years ago, top dollar for a fox was $60. Now we're talking 10. You have to love it and be in it for the joy of it because there's no money to be made now. How do you deal with a skunk? A skunk? Peroxide and baking soda can be your best friend. Welcome to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Now for your host, Stephen Robbins. All right, guys and gals, we are back with another episode of Hunting Day. And uh, last week we had Jed Fetter from Keystone Pursuit Outdoors here, and we were talking about trapping. And uh, man, we covered a lot of really good stuff. And now we're going to come back and we're going to really hit this in a really deep dive uh, scenario. Last week was more of a bird's eye view of trapping and the benefits of it. But now we're going to be more of the meat and potatoes on what we're doing and how we're doing it. And uh, what Jed wants to cover today is we're gonna cover trap preparation, trap location, and trap sets. Before we get into that, I'm gonna let Jed say hello to everybody. Hey everybody, how's it going today? Hey. Nice to be back on the show. Appreciate you being back on, Jed. So, all right, so we were gonna cover trap preparation. Jed, take it away. All right, so when I, finally found a mentor to get me into this. He taught me three things, trap preparation, trap location, clean traps, clean trapper, clean traps. That's the five things to trapping. That is how he taught me. So trap preparation will start off with, you're going to boil your traps. You're going to use like black walnut hauls, uh, oak bark, or you can buy like logwood trap dye. And you're going to get the traps prepped to go out in the field. After you've boiled them and dyed them, you're going to wax them. That is one of the most important parts. It's going to seal off the scent on that trap, and it's going to make it fast. That, that wax is like a, a lubrication to the springs and to your lever arms that make those jaws close that much faster. Okay. So that's, that's the biggest part before you head to the field is get those traps ready. That's where, you know, the clean traps, clean trapper and location, location, location comes into play. Okay. So after that, then you're going to want to start picking locations. So what do you I use like, to uh, pick location? I use on X. Um, I get on on X and then I will start searching for locations by the terrain. I will be looking at the topography and I will be looking for intersections anywhere where Tree lines make an intersection, farm roads, you know, cross over and have a four-way. Anything that looks like it is intersecting where everything would come to one point. Okay. That is where you want to be. Um, if you have time and you can walk, look for those locations you can walk to. Me, I work, I have a family, so I'm looking for those locations where I can open the truck door and hit the animals with the truck door. Okay. Once they're caught in a trap. That's where I am 
focusing on. So there's another guy taught me that. He goes, if you can't hit him with the truck door, you're going too far. So all these things the older guys are trying to teach me, they are very key and vital to catching more fur in an efficient way. That's awesome. So what are some of the different traps? I know in the previous uh, podcast we talked about land traps and water traps, but are there different traps for different animals on land? Yeah. Um, if you're just going to be targeting raccoons, foxes, possums, a one and a half is plenty big of a trap. Um, if you're still on a budget, a number two will catch a coyote. It'll hold almost anything in the eastern part of the, of the United States. Okay. I prefer a bigger trap, which is like an MB550 or a K9 Extreme Junior. They are the largest trap I can use in the state of Pennsylvania for the jaw spread, okay. which is, I believe, six and a half or six and three quarters inches. So we can only have a trap that opens up so far. So I like the biggest trap that they allow me to use. So when I catch something, I know I'm going to hold it and it will be there when I come back for it. Okay. So the same with uh, my stakes. I You can go cheap on your stakes or you can spend a little more money. You can get what's called an earth anchor. It has about a two-inch piece of metal at the bottom and you use a metal bar to drive it in 12 to 18 inches. It takes a special tool to pull it out of the ground. Okay. You can buy rebar, which is really cheap, but I've had animals before in the past pull out of the rebar. Okay. So that's why I like using the earth anchors. Um, and like I said, it, it all depends on what your budget is. Okay. So you've, you've prepared your traps. You've picked your location. Now you've got your set. What do you do from there? Okay. When I'm at my location... And I say I'm at a crossroad of two farm lanes. That is a perfect spot for what I would call uh, dirt hole sets. Okay. I will throw two dirt hole sets into the ground right there. I always put two traps at the location. Predators love to travel in pairs. And they're also curious when they hear noise from another because they're going to make noise when they get caught. They're going to yip. They're going to growl. You know, They're going to let other animals know they're there. So when something comes to check it out, you'll have that second trap there. Sometimes a third, you'll come to a location where you just go, I think one would look good in that spot too. Okay. It's something you learn over time. You visually will see it. Yeah. Now if I, if I pull up to a farm that has cattle and they have you know, the fence post on the corner, that's when I'll throw a flat set in or a urine post set in. I will use what is there to my advantage for yeah. these sets. So my dirt holes, my go-to probably 90% of my sets are those, but you know, if you pull up into a field and there's a big rock, a rock is another good thing. You'll see coyotes or foxes, they'll scat right on top of the rock. Yeah. So I will use that to my advantage. You know, I put the traps where the animals want to go. I don't try to draw them too far off of where they naturally will travel. That makes sense. You've sometimes you set up multiple traps at a site. Um, do you flag them, or is there any way that, like, say, for example, if someone shouldn't be there, comes up on them that would potentially know what's what's there? So, if a landowner asks me to flag them, I will. I'll carry pink flagging tape with me, and a lot of times, um, most you know, most time you're on a farmer's ground. What I will do, I will use on X. I will drop a pin at each of my trap sites, screenshot it, and I will text them a picture of that screenshot. Hey, here's my trap locations. Okay. Know, keep your eye out for them. Or if you're there in the middle of the day 
and I happen to catch something after I've checked, you know, give me a buzz. Yeah. Cause that happens a lot. You know, I'm checking things in the dark, you know, four o'clock in the morning, everyone that's a deer hunter knows you're sitting in the tree stand, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning, a red Fox rolls by, you see a kayak going out across the field. You sh- they're still out roaming. So yeah. you can catch stuff even after that check during the day. Yeah. And that's where it comes back to having that better trap and that better stake to keep them there in case you catch them soon after you've checked. Okay. That makes sense. Now, um, each, each set, do you use a specific lure or bait or is that kind of a generic? Um, there are several manufacturers out there. I don't make my own. I use Liesl Rosat. I think he makes a quality product. And Jeff Dunlap, he makes some really good stuff too. Those are my two go-to guys. Um, you can go to any major store and they're going to have lures and baits on the shelf. And you know, Bass Pro, Cabela's, they all work. Yeah. They, you know, they all work. Just as you get into it more, you'll find some that you think you think work better than others. And, you know, do they really? I, I really couldn't tell you. I've never kept track to see what I've caught animals on but these are some guys that this is how they make their living and i like to support them and they're quality products yeah so that's why i go to those guys yeah so um after you've done all your prep work you've you've set your trap and you've called an animal um how much work's involved after you've after you've called an animal after you've caught an animal that's when the work begins okay um, you know after after dispatch you know you're going to get them home and within a few hours you want to get them scun out you can throw them in the freezer and skin them at a later date but that makes for some very tough skinning okay you know sk- skinning an animal out that's cold is it's not fun so it, your raccoons and your coyotes man they are they're work yeah so f- experience guys skinning we can get them done in 25 minutes a beginner don't be surprised it takes you 45 minutes just to skin out one raccoon because okay. it's you know, you're you're taking your time. You're trying not to put any holes in the hide because we want to bring a nice, presentable you know, piece of fur to market when we go to sell it. Yeah. So, and you're graded on how well you do it at the fur market. So, and then you also have to flesh them. Fleshing is where the work really comes in. You know, putting them on a board and scraping all that, you know, fat and gristle off and preparing them to be dried. So, really, most of the work. A trapping is done in the fur shed okay. after the catch is made. Yeah, so that's that's a whole another ballpark to get into. That is that that is an art that I have not mastered yet. The fur handling part. Okay, it's, uh, there's some guys out here that are you know they're experts at it and they make it look too easy. So I've uh, I've I've had the pleasure of skinning a few coyotes in my day and. Uh, uh, I've probably cut myself more skinning coyotes than I have skinning uh, deer because they're just, I mean, they're, they're so, I don't want to say so small, but they're, they're not easily managed. And I don't know why that is. They're so lean. Yeah. You know, they're so lean and their hide is so thin. There's no room for error when you're skinning them. And 
unlike a deer, you, know, you can get a deer down over the hind quarter and just pull it yeah. the whole way down past the front shoulders. Coyote, there's no pulling. It's knife work. Yeah. And I, I have knife a, work and the, your hands, they get tired after a while. Oh, yeah. And I have a scar on my thumb from where I took a Havilon through a coyote and through my thumb at the same time. And oh. uh, yeah, um, that was fun. That was definitely a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. Skin a few beavers and you definitely end up with some cuts and beavers are probably the worst to do. They, they are so fatty and there's no easy way to hang them because when you skin those, you skin them in the round is what they call it. Um, so you split them from the tail, the whole way up the belly to the bottom jaw. And then you lay them open, and that's how they – if you've ever seen a dried beaver, that's how they get that beautiful round shape is because that's how you skin them. Okay. It, they're, they're a miserable creature to have to skin out, though. Yeah. And then fleshing them, oh, my goodness. You're talking about oh, at least 35 to 45 minutes worth of just fleshing. So a lot of times I send my beavers right to the tannery and get them tanned. I don't worry about selling them. Yeah. They do look pretty hanging on the wall. Oh, yeah. I see you, I see you got a lot of animals hanging on the wall behind you. But I think That's they're beautiful. A couple coyotes back here, and then I have my PA stretcher, I call it. I have my fox, possum, skunk, raccoon, mink, muskrat. I'm missing my fisher and my bobcat, so – those are on the bucket list to get in PA yet. Yeah. So I was hunting in uh, northern Pennsylvania on public land, and I had an animal come by me, and I don't know if it was a fisher or a mink, but it was chasing a, a cottontail. And uh, it so this rabbit comes flying by me like Mach 20, and I'm like, oh, something's, you know, predators behind it. And so I grab my bow, and I'm expecting either a red fox or maybe even a coyote to come in, and I was trying to get ready, and this animal, I, I think it was a mink, but it could have been a fisher. I, I don't know, because they look very similar, right? Yeah, they do look similar. A fisher will actually be, a fisher's about three foot long. A big buck mink, he might be between like 18 and 20 inches long. So a fisher, you can't mistake them because they, they are a very large, they're a very large mink. It, okay. So, and do they get in the water also? A fisher? A fisher might. That sounds more like a mink, though. Mink are a major water animal. They will swim, they'll dive under, they'll disappear into the bank, and then next thing you know, they reappear. Okay. Uh, fishers mainly I've seen on dry land. Okay. This was definitely a mink then because after it chased the rabbit and the rabbit got away, it worked its way down right by the base of my tree stand and went down into the creek. Um, I was up on the, I was up on a flat and the creek was down right behind me about 20 yards. And uh, this thing got in the creek, swam around for a little bit and then disappeared. So I, it definitely sounds like a mink then, but it was, oh, yeah. it was big. It was definitely big. Yeah, I, I have a big buck mink hanging back here. I can show you that. It's they're beautiful creatures. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, maybe I'll get you up to uh, northern Pennsylvania and we can trap him. <laughs> oh, that'd be fun. I I love going to northern Pennsylvania. We actually had a uh, hunting lease in Potter County. Okay. Uh, and my, it's one of my favorite places to be. There, there's no better place in God's country, Potter County. Yeah. Now, are you allowed to trap on public land? Yes. Yep, I target a lot of public land. That that's where my turkeys are. I hunt turkeys on public land, and yeah, so that's where I'm going after my predators at. Okay, all right, and uh, so now that you've got everything skinned and fleshed, 
what's up, what's your next step you take it to market and then you said they grade it what's the what's the standard of grading um there's several standards they're looking for how the uh, fur looks is it full are the guard hairs on their necks long are they rubbed do they have bald spots in them how many holes did you put in them so there's there's several different factors that come into grading size. Size is a big factor. You know how is it extra large? Is it a small? You know how many coats? How many scarfs? You know how many hats can they make out of this animal? Determines how much you're going to get for it. And with the fur market the way it is now, you know you want to try and make everything as presentable and as good as possible because it's the only way you're going to get top dollar. And, yeah. You know, you know, 10 years ago, top dollar for a fox was $60. Now we're talking 10. Now that's how hard this market has crashed. So yeah. You have to love it and be in it for the joy of it because there's no money to be made now. Okay. That's what I was going to ask you. The next question was going to be, so if you were to be a trapper now, it's more for recreational and passionate than for financial gain. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's, there's some guys that can make a living off of it, but you're going to be, you know, you're going to have landowners who are going to call you because they have a nuisance problem that if you want to get into it for money, that's a way to make money, but you're not making money off the fur. You're making money off of it being a nuisance animal. Okay. Off the so, removal. Okay. The, uh, the dream of being Jeremiah Johnson and a mountain man anymore is pretty much gone to the wayside. Okay. So on a good year, how many coyotes would you trap? On a good year, my goal was a dozen. That's, you know, that's that's a pretty good number for where we're at here in South Central Pennsylvania. Uh, do have a friend who lives around here? He caught, I think it was seventy five this past year. He takes off work October to January. That's okay. all he does, and uh, he is really good. He's just one of them next level trappers, and yeah. he, he doesn't hunt. Yeah, he he trout fishes, but. He is a trapper, and his name is Trapper. So okay, it's suiting for him. Very suiting. So, uh, yes. um, what uh, as far as your other animals, raccoons, possums, um, all of the red foxes? What would you say a good year is? Uh, a combined bounty. Um, a combined bounty, uh, two hundred plus animals. Okay, you know, I'm lo- I'm looking for. I'm normally looking for 50, 60 red foxes, 100 plus raccoons, um, going for 30 to 40 muskrat every year, you know, possums and skunks, uh, put them, you know, 30, 40, 50 easily. You're going to clean those out first because they always find your sets first. It never fails. So. Yeah. And I don't mind cleaning them out. So that's, you know, I'm looking 250, 300 each year most of the time, combined species. Okay. And then. How do you deal with a skunk? A skunk? There is a method to dispatching them that I have found works. It doesn't work every time, but I had a another old trapper taught me it. You have to shoot them in the lungs, but you cannot hit their heart. Tell me how difficult that is. Yeah, they're that pretty is a small. Really small window on a small animal. If you can get their lungs, they uh Basically, what happens is their lungs fill full of blood. They can't get that breath of air to work their diaphragm. Then they won't be able to spray. Okay. So once once they're dispatched, you know they will not release that. And there's actually money in the skunk acids. 
So okay. That's one thing I do that that drives my friends and my wife crazy because yeah, you do start to smell like it after a while. So that's another thing is uh, you're not going to smell pleasant as a trapper. It's well, you it's, told it's, me earlier, clean trapper. So well, that's not a bad smell because the people that buy your skunk essence are also the guys who make your lures because that is one of the main ingredients in making lure. Okay, skunk essence. All right, fair enough, fair enough. So, so we grew up. And we would always have skunks come around our house because we had outside cats, right? And they would always come up and try to eat their food. And I can remember multiple times that my dad would set up and hunt skunks. And you would always know that he was successful based off of not whether or not he shot, but what the, what it smelled like the next what day. <laughs> he, he went for those headshots too, I bet. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. oh, that I remember. That is the fastest way to make a skunk uh, release his essence. We hit him right in the head and it is, it is instant out the back door and you're smelling the place up. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I remember one time though, he shot one that got, it actually got under the building. And so, yeah, my mom was very upset about that. So he had to go after it. Peroxide and baking soda can be your best friend. So there is there is a remedy. Um, you do it long enough, you will walk up to a trap in the dark one time, and they're going to get you. I've, yeah, I've I've been sprayed twice. And uh, Dawn dish detergent, peroxide, and baking soda it kills the scent almost immediately. So if I do get a skunk that is smelly before I skin it, I will wash them in that just to neutralize the odor. So what you're trying to do is actually balance the pH out in the smell. And that's what gets rid of it. The peroxide and the baking soda. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Jed, I really appreciate you being back on this week. And uh, these last two weeks have been pretty pretty educational um i've learned a lot and uh man those are some uh pretty cool stories especially the uh skunk ones <laughs> and uh um i i do appreciate you being on and uh i know our listeners do as well because they've gotten value out of this and uh before i let you go though one question i ask everybody and since you are a hunter i'm gonna ask you if you could hunt anywhere in the world where would you go and what would you hunt Oh, I'd be in South Dakota, North Dakota, chasing Merriams. That's where I would be. Okay. Merriam turkeys. I want to be somewhere where there's a goblin bird and lots of ground to go after them. All right. Are you thinking like early bow season when there's still snow on the ground or are you a little later in the year? I like chasing them with a shotgun. Um, okay. There's just something about shooting a turkey with a shotgun. I, I love my bow hunting, but me turkey hunting is done with a shotgun i would love to do it with my flintlock fowler that is my next goal i have a uh, smooth bore flintlock and i want to kill a turkey with that okay so, put me in put me in north dakota with my flintlock fowler after Merriam's. that's that right. be my dream right there well i'm definitely gonna have to have you back on because i got a guy named nick mans he owns red road rifles and he builds custom flintlock muzzleloaders and so i don't know if i should tell you the price only because april doesn't know the price of what i bought <laughs> i had a special ordered muzzleloader right and it's a 50 cal and it's it's actually still in process of being built i get 
picture updates of it pretty regularly and uh april knows that it's expensive she just doesn't know how expensive <laughs> well my dad and i are actually in the process of building one ourselves too a 54 caliber swamp barrel okay uh, flintlock yeah and uh i know what i paid for my fowler it was made by a pretty renowned gun maker and you know we're talking a pretty hefty four-digit number. I mean, yes. I probably shouldn't say it either in case my wife listens. So, <laughs> <laughs> your secret's safe with me. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, what got me? And again, this is definitely another episode, right? We we gotta have you on. I'm gonna get Nick on. Maybe have both of you on at the same time. But I watched Nick shoot 350 yards and consistently hit a six inch circle at 350 yards with a flintlock muzzleloader. And I, I have personally recorded him kill four, uh, he's killed four uh, does, white-tailed does. And the, he, he killed two back-to-back, 10 minutes apart at 198 yards and 200 yards. And just That's impressive. dumped them. Went on a buffalo hunt with him too. I just ran a video camera and uh, watched him shoot a, a beautiful mature buffalo and uh Merriam's with the flintlock shotgun i love it I, I love it i absolutely love it all right jed thanks for being on we've covered a lot of great information and i really appreciate everything that you've taught us over the last two weeks and if anybody wanted to get a hold of you on social media instagram and facebook what would they do yeah, thanks again for having me. And uh, you to reach out, go to Keystone Pursuit Outdoors on Instagram or Facebook. You know, we're very active at responding. Reach out. Any questions you have, be more than happy to answer them. So thanks again for having me on. Absolutely. And to all of our listeners, until next time, keep hunting and keep doing what God calls you to do. Thank you for listening to Hunting Day with Stephen Robbins. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. If you'd like to follow, you can find Stephen on Instagram at Stephen Hunt Day and Facebook at Stephen Robbins HD. If you'd like to reach Stephen, you can email him at stephen.huntingday at gmail.com.